You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. As you're settling back into your seats, I want to draw your attention to one other announcement that is in the back of the worship guide uh, under coming up soon. It talks about Leadership Basics, and Leadership Basics is a class that we run uh, about every other year here at City Church. And as the name implies, it's an introduction to the basics of Christian leadership. We do this for uh, everyone who's been nominated as either an elder or a deacon in our church, but it's open for all. And it's a time where you can come and learn some of the theology that the leaders in our church believe and that guide our ministry and shape the the life of this church. And it's, uh, in addition to theology, we also talk about the the characteristics of uh, how we can be leaders, whether that's in our homes, in our city, or in the church. So we talk about things like, how do we lead from grace? How do we make it so that grace isn't just something we talk about on Sundays, but that is worked out in all that we do? How do we lead in community with other people? How do we lead out of our weakness, knowing that we don't uh, have uh, the the capacity um, to lead all the time? And so if if that interests you, I'd love for you to come. You can sign up. It's going to start two weeks from today and run on Sunday mornings from 9 to 11 here at Grace Covenant. Um, More details can be found in the worship guide and on the link. My name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And these last three Sundays, we've been talking about Luke 15. We've been talking about this really important chapter in the Bible, God's Word, but also how it's a really important chapter in the life of City Church, that it's close to the heart of what we want to be about as a church, because it's close to the heart of God himself. And last week, if you were here, we talked, we began talking about the parable of the prodigal son, which takes up a big chunk of Luke chapter 15. And specifically, we're talking about the first part of this parable, which focuses on a younger brother, a younger brother who uh, rejects his father and goes to a far country. And Peyton read, read the story again for us today with our New Testament reading. And it's a story that for many of us is immediately identifiable, isn't it? We can identify with that younger brother and his rejection of God, whether it happened for us 20 years ago or maybe two days ago. And I realize that some of you are sitting here today and you're hiding the younger brother that you are from the people around you because you're afraid if they knew the way that you had rejected God and the way that you had lived your life, that you certainly wouldn't be welcome here. But the whole point of Luke 15, the whole point of this parable is this wonder of God's grace. This younger brother who had spent his life in reckless living, who found himself in a pigsty and looked down at the food and longed to eat some of that food. What we see as the story goes on is that his father receives him. His father sees him while he's making his way back to the house from a long way off and he runs towards him. He embraces him and he says, my son has come home. We need that story, don't we? You need that story of grace because of your own story. 
Today I want to talk about the second part of that story because there's another brother. There's an older brother and we need him as well. In fact, in some ways, I think those of us who are gathered here this afternoon need this older brother even more. Because it's the older brother that's a lot more like you and like me. We can think about how we were like the younger brother at one point in our past, but today, many of us are like the older brother. You know, we do a membership class a few times a year here at City Church, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, that every time we do this, leader, this uh, new members class, we read through Luke 15. And every time we read it, I then ask this question, which of the brothers do you identify with? And after some sheepish hemming and hawing and maybe a, an answer, a hesitation here or there, I, I say, listen, you're all older brothers, you're at church on a Sunday evening after the worship service and you're in a class learning about the Bible and theology. That's like textbook older brother activity. And it's true for most of us who gather here today. The reason we're here is because we're kind of like the older brothers. But Jesus tells this parable the way he does because he has a really important point to say to them. You know, in Luke 15, there are three parables, there are three stories. There's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, there's a lost brother. And up to uh, the, the, the end of the first part of the story of the prodigal son, it's just like the stories that have come before it. Something's lost and something goes and seeks them out. But in the last story, in the story of the prodigal son, there's this new thing. There's this big reveal. Because we have a new character. We have this older brother who never left home, who was never lost, who was never far from God. But what Jesus wanted his audience to know then and what he wants us to know today is that there's another way to be lost. There's a way to be lost when you think you're not lost. There's a way to be far from God even if you show up at church every Sunday. And the stakes are just as high as they were for the younger brother. And you know what the punchline of the story is? The, the God who is gracious towards the younger brother is gracious to older brothers too. Let's take, uh, take a minute to read through this story, this, the last part of it, and then I'll talk some more about it. So this is Luke 15. We've already read through verse 24 this afternoon. I'm just going to finish it reading verses 25 through 32. Here's what it says. Now his older son was in the field And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you 
I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, I'm so thankful that you have love for older brothers like me. Would your word today be a lamp to our paths and a searchlight into our hearts to show us the ways that we are lost even when we don't think we are? And help us to know that in the finished work of Jesus, there is hope for all who are lost. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I've already uh, introduced the main idea for today. It's simply that there are different ways to be lost. There are different ways to be far from God. That's what these two brothers in the story of the prodigal son show to us. That you can be far from God without ever leaving home. You can be far from God without ever leaving church. And that may be the case for some of you who are here today. Went to church with your parents, grew up in the church, never missed a Sunday, know your Bible inside and out. And yet, you're far from God. You're lost, but you think you're not lost. I want to make some observations about this older brother because I think as we look at him, we'll begin to understand ourselves a little bit. This older brother, as Luke describes him to us through Jesus' words, shows us that lostness, that distance from God can manifest by being angry and slavish towards God and full of scorekeeping towards others. That's what this man shows us, right? In verse 28, we see him. He hears the story of the celebration because his younger brother has come home. In verse 28, but he was angry and he refused to go in. He despised this party that was being thrown. Have you ever despised a party? Sure you have, right? Scrolling on Instagram and seeing the fun that other people are having and you weren't invited. You're not there. And that little part of your heart despises that they're having fun without you, that you weren't included, that they could be celebrating someone that isn't named you. I have a deep party-hating streak in me. You know, I was thinking about it this week. Uh, When I was uh, in high school, I worked one month at a Young Life camp. And I worked in the kitchen washing dishes, never uh, sort of saw the light of day. And one night during each week of that month, they kind of let us out of the kitchen. They 
took us away from the uh, dishwasher and they allowed us to go to the club where all the high school students were. And it was this event called the Say-So. And it was a time where high school students would stand up and say if they had put their faith in Jesus Christ. And it was this party, people would clap for them, they would celebrate and they would sing songs. The four weeks that I was at Young Life Camp that month, I didn't go to a single say-so. And I thought I was doing it the right thing because I said, I don't need to go to that. I'm not here this month to see the say-so. I'm here this month to work. But I look back on that now and see the ways that I refuse to celebrate. I was begrudging the fact that these kids had discovered God's love for them. I didn't want to join the angels in singing. I was too proud for it. That's what an older brother looks like. That's what the older brother in this situation looked like. He was angry and refused to go in. He didn't just despise his brother and the treatment that his brother was receiving, but if we read on in the passage, we understand more about the older brother. He has a beef with his father. Right? We're told that his father comes out, and then in verse 29, he answers his father, look, these many years I have served you, I've never disobeyed your command. I have a friend who, whenever he reads through this passage, he imagines the younger son raising a finger and wagging it in the face of his father. Look, look at my resume. Look at my receipts. I've done it all for you. I've served you faithfully. I've been here. I never left home. How many of us, in our relationship to God, the way that we relate to God is similar where we're showing God what we've done, where we're building our resume, our spiritual resume. Look at this God. All the ways I've been faithful. You see, merit dies so hard in the human heart, doesn't it? Sure, you grow up in church and you sing the songs about amazing grace, but at the end of the day, don't you want to save just a little bit for what you have done? Have something to offer God? Look at my track record. These many years I have served you. I think that word that the, uh, the older brother uses in this passage is really important. Right? He's, he's listing his resume. He's uh, conceiving of, or he's reporting on what his relationship to the Father is like. And he says, all these years I have served you. It's an intentional echo of earlier in the story when the younger brother who's gone away and, and lived recklessly, he comes back and do you remember what he says to the father as he's preparing his I'm sorry speech? He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. The older brother uses the exact same word to define his relationship with the, with the father. You see, both of these brothers are lost. They're missing out on the way we're supposed to relate to God. They both want to define it by service, by being slaves, not by being children, not by being the beloved. And anytime you do this, anytime you begin to relate to God as though you are serving Him, as though uh, you are earning credit into your account by the things that you do, you're acting as the older brother angry and slavish 
wanting to be God's slave rather than wanting to be God's child. Friends, I'm convinced that there are almost limitless ways that we are trying to offer our righteousness to God. Almost, almost anything you can think of can be turned into an effort to offer your righteousness to God. We know about all this that happens on social media. That, that's easy and cheap. I'm not even going to touch that one. I want you to think about your conversations for a minute. Take an average day and think about your conversations in the way that you posture yourself, in the way that you turn the focus in order to establish your righteousness before God and before other people. I do it all the time. And so do you. The older brother, he's angry, he's slavish in his relationship to God. And then in verse 29, we see that he's a scorekeeper, right? He asks this great question. He says, essentially, where's my goat? Right, where's my goat? You're killing a fattened calf. I'm not asking for a fattened calf. That took time, like you had to plan ahead. That's really special, really expensive. I just want a goat. I've had goat before. It's not great. I, where, but where's my goat? He's saying, where's my party? And all of this is rooted in the scorekeeping that he is doing in his head and then out loud towards the father. He's saying, this son of yours, he won't even call him my brother, right? He doesn't say my brother. He says, this son of yours has done all these things wrong and you're giving him a calf, a fattened calf. I've done everything right. Where's my goat? How are you saying that to God? What's your internal conversation with God like? You see, what this leads us to do, this tendency towards scorekeeping, what it does in us is it tends uh, to, to highlight other people's sin and to highlight our goodness, our righteousness. We focus on our merit and we focus on their failings. Friends, let me tell you this as clearly as I can. If God kept score, we all lose. We all lose. And next time that you're asking this question, where's my goat? Where's my party? Why isn't God celebrating me? Remember that he absolutely is. It is God's word of grace, the gospel of Jesus' love for you that's spoken over you every minute of every day. You are my child. On you, my favor rests. My soul takes delight in you. Friends, those words are greater than any fattened calf, any party, any music and dancing. So this is the profile of the older brother that we meet in this parable. But equally important for you to see is the profile of the father that meets us in the second half of this story. And what we see is the father's heart for the not lost. This brother who stayed at home but was as lost as his younger brother. It says in verse 28, first, his father came out and entreated him. And the language here implies repeated attempts. It's this ongoing activity of the party is raging inside. He knows his older brother it won't even come in. And so the father goes out to him. Here it's an exact parallel. It's a mirror image of what the father does with the younger son, right? 
with a younger son who's been gone for so long, the father's up on the hill and he's looking, scanning the horizon, wondering, maybe today is the day my son comes home. He acts the same. The father's heart towards the older brother is the same. He moves towards him. He pursues him. He initiates because God's grace always pursues us. This is the gospel, that the father comes and he keeps coming. The Father has come to us through the prophets. The Father has come to us through the Scripture. The Father has come to us through Jesus Christ. And He's coming today through the Holy Spirit. The Father is coming to you, however you are lost. And He's saying, come in. Come into my embrace. Come into my friendship. Come into my love. You know, I think the, the, the way the Father acts towards the younger brother, it gets all the press. There he is, hiking up his robes and running, planting sloppy kisses on the younger brother as he comes home. But the love towards the older brother is the same love. It's the same heart. It's the same God. If you are an older brother, God loves you like that today. He's entreating you to come in. Next thing I want you to notice about the father's heart is in verses 29 and 30. And they actually don't say anything about the father in those verses, right? These are the verses where the older brother is pleading his case. He's uh, building his resume. What do we learn about the father's heart in that? We learn that it's patient and forbearing. That there's great mercy in the fact that he often lets us rage as these self-righteous, self-absorbed older brothers. And he waits for us to finish. It's his grace in that. It's his mercy as you unfurl your spiritual resume. As you spout out all the injustices. And he waits. And he turns his heart of love to you. Because he's preparing for the last thing that we learn about the Father's love. Which is in verse 31. This great statement of the Father to the older brother, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Son, how did the older brother want to relate to God as a slave, as a servant? He breaks through all that and says, no, you're, you're thinking about it wrong. You're my son. You're my child. And then he goes on to say, I'm always with you for all time, for all eternity. Whether you go far away or you stay close to home, I'm always with you. And he's generous. He's lavish. All that is mine is yours. The God of a thousand cattle on every hillside. The God of infinite riches. The God of everything says, all that is mine is yours. That's the Father's heart towards you. The Father is relational. The Father is eternal. And the Father is lavish in his love for you today. We've talked about the older brother, we've talked about the father's heart, but what's missing? What's missing from this parable? Think back. We had a parable of the lost sheep, we had a parable of the lost coin. Now this parable of the lost son or the lost sons, something's missing. A couple things are missing, actually. You know the first thing that's missing from this third parable? Someone searching. 
I mean, we've talked some about how the father does this, right? The father fulfills that role a little bit. But it's not the same intensity. It's not the, the way it is in the parable of the lost sheep where the shepherd leaves all the 99 and goes out into the far country to find the sheep that's lost. It's not the same intensity as the parable of the lost coin where they sweep the whole house, they turn all the lights on, they rip up the carpets to find that coin. And by the time you get to this third, par- this third parable, the, the audience, the crowd there would have been expecting someone searching. Why is it missing? Why is it missing? There are two reasons, I think. The first is that it's the older brother who should have been searching. His brother was gone. Who would be the first one out the door to make sure his brother gets home? Who would be leading the search party? It would be a sibling. This older brother didn't do that. And it's meant to point back to the Pharisees who at the beginning of Luke 15 are the older brothers who don't have a heart for lost people. It's meant to uh, show that, to reveal that the, the older brother didn't go. And it's also to make us long for a better older brother who would come and search for the lost. You see, it's meant to point to Jesus. The absence in this parable is sort of self-referential, that Jesus is saying, you know what's missing? The one searching for the lost brother? Well, that's me. I'm that guy. I'm the one who left my father's throne above. I'm the one who was incarnate, who came down to earth to seek and to find you. You see, he's missing, but he's there all the time. It's Jesus. There's one other thing that's missing in this parable. In the last story, just the story of the older brother. And we see this when we compare it to the story of the younger brother, right? How does the first half end, verse 24? The father celebrates, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. It ends with this picture of a party with this great rejoicing that has been true in each of the parables up to this point. Then we get to the very end, verse 32. There's no party. There's this great statement of the father's heart. He expresses his love. But what we don't have is repentance. We don't have the older brother broken in his sin acknowledging how he is so far from the Father and being received back. Why is that? Why don't we see a response from the older brother? It's because Jesus, this masterful storyteller, wants this moment to hang in the air. He wants wants it to sit unresolved. Why? So that all the older brothers who are listening to him could imagine What would it be like for me to receive the Father's love? And so that all the older brothers who are sitting in here today would ask that question. What would it look like for me to receive the Father's love? I want you to think about that question. Because I know that there are some of you today who have never been broken by your sin or by the grace of God. I want to end by giving you a picture of what it could look like. 
I read this article in a magazine called Comment earlier this month. It's by a man named Skylar Edletta. I'd never heard of him before. He's the son of an alcoholic father. And as a boy, as you can imagine, he suffered great suffering. An absent father who was violent, who wasn't present, who never gave him the love that he desired. His parents eventually got divorced, but the suffering didn't end. Just changed color, changed hue, but he still continued to suffer. It's kind of the reverse of this parable, isn't it? It's a story of a prodigal father who has left his son. As he went through his life, every interaction with his father, every conversation was along the same theme. It made, drove towards the same point. You should just give up on him. It's what other people had done. He wasn't trustworthy. Every conversation led to more hurt. Eventually, as an adult, this man confronted his father, who is now a 60-year-old man, still an alcoholic. And as he went to have this conversation with him, to, uh, to urge him to change his life, he steeled himself for what he'd heard so many times before, right? He, he readied himself to hear, I'll try harder. He steeled himself against the empty promises. Oh, it'll be different this time. That's what he was bracing to hear. That's what he thought his father was going to say because he had heard him so many times before. But his father surprised him because you know what? Instead of saying that, his father said to him, let me go. I'm doomed. He didn't lie. Right? His father said what every younger brother says when they finally hit rock bottom. Let me go. I'm doomed. His father said what you may have said to your friends or your family or your spouse or your parents at some point in your life. Let me go. I'm toxic. I'm trouble. I'll never be anything else. So Skylar did what every confused son does in a situation like that. He went and talked to his mom. And remember, this is the mom who was married to this father who knew his alcoholic ways and all the suffering and collateral damage that he has caused in their life. And his mom said this, let him go. That's his legacy. Let him go. A younger brother is all he knows how to be. The son couldn't let his father go. The son couldn't stop loving him. The son couldn't stop hoping that his father could be healed. And so at the end of this article, he writes this, I cannot and will not ever abandon hope for my dad. When his knees buckle and he falls to his face, he will, at the very least, never be alone.
Friends, that is God's posture towards you. You, in this life, will never be alone because of the heart of God for the lost. And for those of us who believe that, who know that, the very level of our souls, we must become like Skylar Adletta. Not older brothers who are judgmental and self-righteous and looking down our noses and tisking at the lostness of others. But men and women who would carry hope and love and grace. And even when people say to us, let me go, I'm doomed. We will not give up on them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this majestic chapter in Scripture. One whose depths we have only begun to plumb. Would you take these words and these themes and this grace and work it into our hearts and then work it out through our lives? that we would be a reflection of the heart of God, your heart, for this lost world. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.